The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 283. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan, where you can watch this podcast. Go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support to support the show. You can also go to brianmcclanahan.com. Click on that shop tab. You get all my Brian McClanahan show logo on all kinds of cool stuff. While you're there, give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can also support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com, where it's always free to enroll. You get a free course when you do that. And you can go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, learntruehistory.com. It's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Great way to support me and the show, and also get some cool stuff for that, too. So a lot of great ways to support the show. Go out there and do it. Rate the show on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Go to anchor.fm. You can support the show that way as well. You can also leave me a message, and if it's a good one, maybe I'll put you on the show. You can be part of the Brian McClanahan Show. That'd be fun. So a lot of great ways to uh, to get engaged with the show and support the show. And again, share this on social media. Share it around with your friends. I would like organic growth, so the more people we get involved in thinking locally, acting locally, the better. All right, let's talk about the topic for today, which is Ian Milheiser. Well, at least sort of Ian Milheiser. If you don't know who Ian Milheiser is, he's... Always good for a laugh. And I mean that because, not because he's a funny guy, but because every, <clears throat> everything he says is absolutely ridiculous. Um, so, Ian Milheiser at one time worked for the now defunct thinkprogress.com. It's one of the greatest instances of karma in all of the last decade, that Think Progress went bankrupt and belly up because Ian Milheiser had a cottage industry around calling people racist, white supremacist, uh, just all kinds of nasty names. He did not meet a person who opposed him that he didn't call a racist. And of course, he took great joy in uh, you know attacking the 10th Amendment Center, attacking the Abbeville Institute, <clears throat> uh, his, his, uh, the website did at least. And so... The fact that that website went belly up is just so wonderful. And so now he's moved on to Vox.com, which again is another garbage website, but one that employed Ian Milheiser. Now, Ian Milheiser, the thing I like about Ian Milheiser, if you really want to know what the radical left is thinking, then you go read Ian Milheiser because he's not afraid to tell you some crazy, kooky idea that he thinks should be implemented. He's not afraid to tell you that uh, essentially um, you should end up in re-education camps if you don't think like Ian Milheiser. And of course, again, he's going to call anyone who opposes him all kinds of nasty names. He lives for platitudes and slander. That's exactly what Think Progress was. It's what Ian Milheiser is all about. And he uses stupid phrases like American democracy and all these other things. Again, if you want to know what the radical left is thinking, you go read Ian Milheiser because he's going to tell you. I remember years ago there was a website that I... I uh, read, um, and these people, I mean, this was probably in 2007, so, you know, well over a decade ago, 
And I was shocked at that time because, you know, for years, the left didn't want to be called communists or Marxists. This is right about the time the left started calling themselves progressives again. Because, you know, for a long time, they were just liberals. And then that term became so tainted, you didn't want to be called a liberal. So they started calling themselves progressives. Oh, we're progressives. You see, we're just, we're just progressives. Because who doesn't like progress? But what they, and, and understanding that most Americans had lost their connection to progressivism with stupidity, right? And uh, radical reform that was dangerous. They had lost all that connection. Uh, they had lost all connection to Woodrow Wilson, for example. You see, the progressives don't run around saying, hey, we're progressives. Woodrow Wilson was one of us because he was. No, no, no. Uh, he's, not a, he's not a real progressive. He was just a Southern racist. No, he was a progressive. Uh, they like to talk about Teddy Roosevelt to an extent, but really what they are are Marxists. They're, they're cultural Marxists. They're neo-Marxists. They're not old Marxists. They're cultural Marxists and neo-Marxists. And, I mean, they're more like Stalinists is what they are. Um, but the fact is, these people started calling themselves progressives. And I remember reading this website and I actually called them out. You guys are just a bunch of, of communists is what you're saying. Yeah, it's exactly what we are. But we're just calling ourselves progressives. They were, they were perfectly fine with it. And there was one writer there who ended up getting in a lot of trouble just a few years ago, he's a professor at a, at a, uh, I think he's in, uh, the, he's on the West Coast somewhere now. It was fitting. Uh, but he said something about, I can't remember what the context was, but boy, this guy was excoriated. I mean, there was people calling for his uh, complete removal from this institution. Um, he was, um, you know, death threats were coming his way. This guy... He was, he's a leftist, and he said some very leftist things, and people were really upset about some of the things he said. And so um, he, he got some fame in a way he didn't really want it a few years ago. Uh, but regardless, I want to talk about Ian Milheiser because this particular piece is just so hilariously stupid, it needs to be addressed. And and I mean, he, he says it's, it's not going to happen, and it's just kind of a... Even the title shows that it would be satirical in a way. But he's serious about some things. And one of the things I'm going to talk about at the end of this particular podcast, this episode, is that Milheiser might be on to something. He might be coming around to a realization about something. I don't think so. I, I might have too much faith in that. But he might be coming around to a realization that something else needs to happen. So the title of this piece is A Modest Proposal to Save American Democracy. A modest proposal, so Jonathan Swift-like, right? American democracy is broken, he says. We have a president who lost the popular vote, a Senate where the majority represents about 15 million fewer people than the minority, and a Supreme Court where two justices were nominated by that president and confirmed by that unrepresentative Senate. I mean, you can't get around the Trump derangement syndrome here. Um, new, you know, Newsflash for Ian Milheiser. I mean, this is the way the entire thing was designed. We don't have a democracy, dum-dum. I mean, because it's a family program, I won't use foul language, like Ian Milheiser does on a regular basis on his Twitter page. But I won't do that. I mean, there's words I could come up with Ian Milheiser, but dum-dum's, you know, fine. Nimrod, moron. 
An unsigned note entitled Pack the Union, a proposal to admit new states for the purpose of amending the Constitution to ensure equal representation, typical academic title, and published at the Harvard Law Review, an unsigned note. So the person that wrote this is so afraid, so afraid this could have repercussions that they don't want to sign it. What repercussions at the Harvard Law Review would you get? I mean, who's going to... Who's going to think, oh my gosh, we're not going to give this person any, any kind of uh, position because they wrote this leftist piece for the Harvard Law Review? I mean, these people live in a fantasy world. They really do. Now, if a conservative had written something like this, well, certainly, you're not going to get a job. But a leftist? I mean, this is like, I mean, this is resume enhancer. You, you would certainly be put to the top of the stack of, uh, of Vitas if you wrote this thing. But think about, think about the title. Pack the Union, a proposal to admit new states for the purpose of amending the Constitution to ensure equal representation. You can't get more academic than that. The only thing it would have in there, if equal representation was something like, uh, you know, had to do with um, race, class, gender at the end. I mean, that if, you, if you put all that stuff in the title. To ensure the equal representation of all races, classes, and genders. Then it would have been completely academic. So, entirely constitutional way of out of this dilemma. Add new states, a lot of new states. Then use this block of states to rewrite the Constitution so that the United States has an election system where every vote counts equally. Uh, These people are deranged. They really are. They're delusional and deranged. Now, of course, again, Milheiser says this is never going to happen. Their, their understanding of things is so limited that they even come... Now, I'm going to read part of that of that essay, too. This this piece, Milhiser's piece, is pretty short, so it won't take me long to get through this. So this is where... <clears throat> this is a quote from that particular piece, this academic essay. To create a system where every vote counts equally, the Constitution must be amended. To do this, Congress should pass legislation reducing the size of Washington, D.C., to an area encompassing only a few core federal buildings and then emit the rest of the district's 127 neighborhoods as states. These states, which could be added with a simple congressional majority, would add enough votes to Congress to ratify four, member, four amendments. One, transfer a transfer of the Senate's power to a body that represents states, I'm sorry, citizens, citizens equally. An expansion of the House so that all citizens are represented in equal-sized districts. A replacement of the Electoral College with a popular vote and a modification of the Constitution's amendment process that would ensure future amendments are ratified by states representing most Americans. Hmm. Okay. So I'll get into all that. But think about the lunacy of this, right? It's They are so deranged to think that the United States was formed as some type of democracy, and that's democracy is the best thing. Democracy, it's this love affair, it's this worship of democracy that these people have. They genuflect. I think they burn candles at an altar to democracy every night. Democracy. Well, really what democracy is, as many philosophers have pointed out, is tyranny of the majority. It's just another form of tyranny. Because if you can get 50 plus one, 50% plus one person, you're now, and you can win with that, you can terrorize the other 50%. And this is exactly what they would do. 
So this is all about power in a leftist power grab. Milheiser wants to do things like pack the Supreme Court. I mean, FDR is his guy. Uh, why don't we just pack the Supreme Court, he says. Let's just go do that again, because you've got these illegitimate judges there. You've got an illegitimate president selecting illegitimate judges and confirmed by an illegitimate governing body, the Senate. It's not illegitimate. He doesn't even know what the concept of legitimacy is. He thinks it's because it's 50 plus 1. That's only legitimate. This man lives in a fairy tale world. Under the Constitution, new states may be admitted by an ordinary act of Congress enacted with a simple majority vote. The Constitution does, however, prevent new states from being carved out of an existing state unless the legislature of that state consents. Chopping up the District of Columbia gets around this problem because Washington, D.C. is not a state. This is true. I mean, that part of it is true, but all of these neighborhoods would have to apply for statehood. And let me tell you, that would be a pretty tough process for these neighborhoods, um, which, I mean, you, you would, it would take a, a, a method of community organizing not seen in the history of America to get this to happen. Or you'd have to get George Soros to go in and, and give people a lot of money and just say, yeah, go petition for statehood. One can quarrel with the details of the Harvard proposal. Ratifying a constitutional amendment, for example, requires the consent of three-fourths of the states. So it makes more sense to divide the District of Columbia into 150 states rather than 127 states to ensure that pro-democracy amendments would actually be ratified. And then he explains, under the Harvard proposal, there will be 177 states, so 133 of them would have to agree to a new amendment. That means that six existing states would need to play along. Well, I'm sure they could get California or some other nonsense and some other lefty states, New York, all New England. I mean, so they would get some states to play along with this. There's no doubt about it. What they're trying to do here is reduce the power of any of the conservative states in the United States. This is what they want. Okay, They, they want the United States, they want conservatives marginalized to a point where they can't block anything. They want tyranny. That's what they want. It would also be a good idea to draw the boundaries of those new states to ensure that the electorate within each of the new states supports such amendments. I mean, there's no rigging going on here. There's nothing, no I mean, shady political kneecapping going on here. Move along. Similarly, the Constitution effectively prohibits amendments that eliminate state mal I'm sorry, Senate malapportionment. The Harvard Note proposes getting around this problem by transferring the Senate's powers to another body. The Senate's duties, it argues, could be changed without modifying its composition. Fair enough, but a more straightforward solution might be ratifying two separate amendments. One to eliminate the restriction on amendments, eliminating Senate malapportionment, and the second actually eliminates Senate malapportionment. I mean, anyways. Uh, details aside, however, the wild thing about this Harvard Review proposal is that it's absolutely 100% constitutional. The Constitution provides that new states may be admitted by the Congress into this union, but it places no limits on the size of a state either in terms of population or in terms of physical space. This is true. This is true. Um, I mean, if, if they want to go for this thing, fine. I, I think they're going to have a hard time doing it, like I said, but... This is true, and I'm going to mention at the end of this episode one thing that Milheiser is actually admitting here. Literally nothing in the Constitution prevents Congress from admitting the Obama family's personal D.C. residence as a state, a state which would be entitled to two senators, one member of the House, and exactly as much say on whether the Constitution should be amended as the entire state of Texas. Congress can follow up this move by adding the personal D.C. residences of 149 other staunch Democratic families as states, each would 
each of which would then get two senators of their very own. Oh, yes, there's nothing corrupt about this idea. Nothing. Nothing corrupt. Indeed, there's a long history of partisans selectively administering new states in order to pack the Senate with their own fellow partisans. In 1864, for example, Republicans admitted the state of Nevada, then a desert wasteland with only several thousand residents, giving themselves two extra Senate seats in the process. Yes, this is true, and then he mentions the Dakotas. But these were large geographic areas that would eventually fill up with people, so it wasn't like a household getting a state. I mean, we're, we're going back, essentially, to the corruption of the Roman Senate. What, what Milheiser is actually arguing is a Caesarian view of government. This is what he wants. This is what I'm saying. These people are just tyrants. They're petty tyrants under the guise of democracy. They're dangerous. These people are dangerous. Now, he says at the end, so let's be frank, this Harvard proposal note is ridiculous. Harvard notes proposal is ridiculous. But it's no more ridiculous than a system where nearly 40 million people in California have no more Senate representation than the 578,759 people in Wyoming. It's no more ridiculous than that. Really? Your thing where you're going to give a family a Senate seat is no more ridiculous than that? I mean, come on. That's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. As the Harwell note says of its own pitch, radical as this proposal may sound, it is no more radical than an anomaly democratic system of government that gives citizens widely disproportionate voting power depending on where they live. All right. So let me get into the Harvard proposal. Milheiser's just complete lunatic. But I'll get into the Harvard proposal here after the break. I'll see you on the other side of this. Let me talk to you for a minute about McClanahan Academy. I know at the beginning of this particular podcast or this video, I talked about McClanahan Academy. But let me go into a little more detail about why I think you should sign up for it and why and why I created it. First, a little bit about me. I have a PhD in American history from the University of South Carolina, and I've taught in the college environment for 20 years. And I've seen college students get worse over time. The curriculum get worse. And students are being indoctrinated more than educated now in our higher education system, whether it's high school or college. So I wanted a counterweight to that. And this is why I created the McClanahan Academy. Now, first, it's always free to enroll at McClanahan Academy. You sign up. It's free. And I give you a free course, 10 Myths of American History, when you do sign up. So it's a great way to get an introduction to what I do. But I've got eight courses for sale there and more forthcoming. All of these courses are designed to give you the non-PC version of American history, to take the red pill, so to speak. And I've got two courses in particular, my U.S. History Survey courses, which are designed for homeschoolers. So if you're a homeschooler and you want a good curriculum, and uh, my family has homeschooled all of our children from the beginning, and you want a solid history curriculum, that's why I designed the United States History to 1865 and 1865 to present. You've got... Enough material, you've got lesson plans, you've got uh, tests, you've got reading material, you've got reading seminars, you've got 36 weeks, if you take them, buy them both, you've got 36 weeks of material, and it can be used as a high school history curriculum, or if you're just a lifelong learner, you can use it otherwise. But it's a great way to get a real history education devoid of Marxism and progressivism and political correctness. So sign up at mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Again, always free to enroll. And I'll see you there. All right, we're back on the other side of the break. Just want to wrap up this particular episode and talk about the Harvard proposal. 
uh, because Milheiser's thing is just so ridiculously stupid. Um, but again, this is um, he, he linked to it in the piece, so I was able to go and find this thing and print it off. Um, again, pack the union. Proposal to admit new states for the purpose of amending the Constitution to ensure equal representation. Unsigned. Because we know that, uh, again, crazy leftists won't get a job if they produce something that's crazy. Um, so let me read this, this first part of this. Um, and it's so rapidly partisan. This passes for academic. This went to an academic journal. For most of the 21st century, the world's oldest surviving democracy has been led by a chief executive who received fewer votes than his opponent in election for the position. The first four of these executives started a war based on false pretenses that killed hundreds of thousands of civilians. The second, a serial abuser of women who hired as his campaign manager a lobbyist for violent dictatorships, authorized an immigration policy that forcibly separated migrant children from their families and indefinitely detained them in facilities described as concentration camps. I mean, look at the talking points. This is an academic journal. An academic, quote-unquote academic. Look at the talking points in the first paragraph. This is all democratic platitudes and talking points. I mean, that's probably unsigned because the person that wrote this is so rapidly partisan, everyone would, would discard it as saying, well, that's just stupid. Um, but, okay, so the first part, George W. Bush, I mean, he's, they're going to criticize George as some type of non-progressive. George W. Bush is a progressive. He's a Wilsonian. And Donald Trump really is a progressive, too, but, I mean, Obama did more of this than, than Trump has done. I mean, the cages that were set up, the concentration camps, Obama was doing all that stuff as well. In fact, more than Trump was. So, I mean, the partisanship at the beginning of this is just ridiculously stupid. And the term concentration camps, the note um, is uh, from the New Yorker, right? Oh, that's a substantial piece of, uh, of investigative journalism there, I'm sure. Democracy, as they say, is messy. But even with demo when democracy is messy, society's commitment to the endeavor rests on the belief that giving power to the people is appropriate and fair. Um, recent events have highlighted some of the ways in which federal elections in the United States are profoundly undemocratic and thus profoundly unfair. Because Ezra Klein says so. That's their note, Ezra Klein. Ezra Klein might have well written this. I mean, it's Ezra Klein says they're unfair. The Electoral College, when it contravenes the popular vote, is an obvious example of this unfairness. It is. You see, and they're going to get into some of the history. The Electoral College, it's not unfair. It's not unfair at all. It keeps the states in the process of electing the president. You see, what these people don't, and, and they admit this, the Constitution wouldn't have been ratified unless the states had a role in the entire process. And so the Electoral College fulfilled that process with the presidency. Now, I know the argument as well. Uh, we wanted to have a popular vote. The people didn't know it. So we're going to have these electors. And these electors are going to be selected in districts in the states. So you're really just supporting the vote of the people. These electors, though, can do whatever they want. You vote for an elector, and the elector can vote for whoever they want. It wasn't necessarily for... Uh, the idea wasn't for the states necessarily, but it is an, a... a, a check on democracy. That's what it's supposed to be. But of course, we know the states were included in this process because if the president does not get a majority in the Electoral College, then the president is elected by the House of Representatives where each state gets one vote. So the states then elect the president. The states, not the people, elect the president. 
So you see, the entire process was designed to keep the states in the loop from the beginning. Um, let's see. If we truly hold to be self-evident that all are created equal, then it is time to amend the Constitution to ensure that all votes are treated equally. Just as it was unfair to exclude women and minorities from the franchise, so it too was unfair to weigh votes differently. The 600,000 residents of Wyoming and the 40 million residents of California should not be represented by the same number of senators. Why not? The states are represented in the Senate. This is just so stupid. It's, it's arguing from the premise that somehow this was all supposed to be equal. No, it wasn't. The states are supposed to be equal, not the, not the citizens, the residents of those. The states were there. The Senate is there to be a check on democracy and on the entire system. The states had a check on the entire system. Nor should some citizens get to vote for president while others do not. Okay. Any rationalization of the status quo must adopt the famous Orwellian farce, all animals are equal because some animals are more equal than not. This is just stupid. No, you don't have to adopt that farce. Just because You're not Orwellian if you support the, the federal system of the United States. That's not Orwellian. Each state is equal. Each state is equal. In the Congress. In the Senate. It doesn't matter how large or small. Each state, which the term state was a conscious choice of words, each state is equal. State, not county, shire, province, state. These observations are not new, and they were noted well before the Constitution was ratified. During the Constitutional Convention, delegates from small states refused to accept a system of representation by population. Likewise. Today, the faction that benefits from the unfair allocation of power has no interest in changing it. Um, Article 5 of the Constitution requires supermajorities to amend the Constitution. So pragmatists have been reduced to advocating meager solutions. Perhaps Congress should admit Washington, D.C. as a state. Maybe Puerto Rico, too, if we're really feeling ambitious. Washington, D.C., uh, if you take, you, you have to have a federal city. So, I mean, that's that whole issue. It's, it's, that's just, again, stupid talk. While a step in the right direction, these proposals are inadequate. To create a system where every vote counts equally, the Constitution must be amended. And, of course, I've read this already. Uh, now they get into the history of the Senate and some of the things here about why uh, this, this is fun. This is a fun part of this piece. And I don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to kind of go through and hit some highlights. Uh, the Senate, in the Senate, we, each state is represented by two senators regardless of population. As a result, the Senate is arguably the least democratic legislative chamber in any developed nation. Good. I don't know. Maybe California is right up there. I mean, California's Senate. I mean, the people, these people, oh, got to have California in there. If you look at California's representative ratio, it's, it's almost as, quote unquote, undemocratic as that of the United States. Almost. Because there are so few senators for 40 million people. So should we have more senators there? Should we have more members of the House? I mean, these people don't ever say things like that. At the Constitutional Convention, the arguments in favor of representation by state were never particularly persuasive. Yes, they were. The Constitution would have been... I mean, this is a stupid... I, hello. Uh, it's the only reason the Constitution was ratified. They were persuasive. The voting structure of the convention where delegates, the citizens had to be approved by the majority of states, ensured that small state delegates got their way. I mean, to, to say that flippantly, it's never really persuasive. Yes, it was. I don't know if this person, whoever it is, has ever even read the Philadelphia debates, Philadelphia convention debates or the ratification debates from the ratifying conventions. Never read it because it was the entire crux of the argument. The states have to be included in all this. They were persuasive. And when they finally, the proponents finally said, all right, 
will go along with this. That's when the Constitution got ratified. Gunning Bedford, a delegate from Delaware, warned that if representation were based on population, large states might crush the small ones in Congress. But as James Madison noted, that risk is minimal because large states do not inherently have anything in common that would bring them together for such purposes. The only issue that would reliably divide large and small and large states is the very question of how to allocate power among them. Luther Martin of Maryland also argued that because the federal government was a confederation of equally sovereign and free states, each should be considered as equally an equal contracting party. But again, this was view is not especially compelling to this Nimrod writing the piece, but it was especially compelling to the founding generation. As Pennsylvania delegate James Wilson Riley inquired, well, James Wilson was the most ardent nationalist in the entire thing, and fr- trust me, when James Wilson got out in October and started arguing for the con- Constitution, he was arguing Luther Martin's position. These people are so stupid, they don't know this stuff. Can we forget who, for whom we are forming government? It is for men, for, or for the imaginary beings called states. They do not have interests independent of the people who live in them, so equal numbers of people ought to be entitled to equal number of representatives. Uh, Moreover, this is the funny part, moreover, while it was at least plausible at the time to argue that the federal government was a a creature of the sovereign states, today the federal government is all intimately involved with individual lives in a way that would have been unimaginable to those in the founding era. If the federal government can levy personal income taxes, change the definition of marriage, and penalize the failure to purchase health insurance, shouldn't the peoples whose lives depend on those decisions be entitled to equal representation? Well, considering all those things are unconstitutional, uh, particularly the uh, the last two. Now, you can say the income tax is constitutional because of the income tax amendment, but it wasn't before that, you see. So um, there, there are a couple of different things here. Obamacare and this marriage issue, unconstitutional. The other one, only constitutional because of an amendment. When they tried to do it without amendment, it was it was it was declared unconstitutional. So, yeah, um, if you're going to have unconstitutional power, but I mean, if we had a real constitution, then these things wouldn't happen. So I could go on and on about this, but I want to wrap this up. And of course, they get the electoral college, um, and. Of course, the idea that the Electoral College... Let me say this. What these people are realizing, they're realizing that think locally, act locally is actually more important than nationalism. Now, these people can't... They're not... not, They wouldn't get to that point because they're too stupid to arrive at that conclusion. In fact, what Milheiser should be doing is saying, you know what, Tenth Amendment people, I was wrong about you the entire time. Uh, Really, what we need to do is have more decentralization because more decentralization would help a process in which uh, we could have... More progressives, more progressive reforms at every level of government. Because you could have California be a socialist utopia, and you could have Alabama be Alabama. And then Alabama wouldn't affect California anymore, or New York, or any other New England state. And those states wouldn't affect Alabama. What he's really recognizing is that what we don't need is one-size-fits-all, top-down national government. They're arguing against it. They're against Donald Trump and the, and the Senate and the Supreme Court, because those things are not letting their one-size-fits-all nationalist progressive agenda get through. So, that's the problem. You see, the problem is the structure of a national government. If we had a real federal government, this person doesn't even realize what they're saying. If we had a real federal government, then all these things would not be problematic. But of course, that's not what we have today. And so what Milheiser and all these and this, whoever this is at the Harvard Review should be doing is thinking, you know what we need to do? Let's have decentralist proposals, adding more states the way they're doing it. It's, I mean, we, we could talk about dividing California up, for example. That would be a good thing. Uh, people have talked about Texas. I mean, what size of a state should it be? I mean, the United States was the size of, in population terms, 
was the size of Alabama in 1790. So is Alabama too big? Should Alabama be smaller? I mean, should we have, should we divide all these states up? David Hume would say so. Should we have a, a Hume-like republic where you have hundreds, hundreds of small states within a, a central authority so that you decentralize power so much that no one can have ascendancy really over the other? I mean, these are things we can really talk about. The problem, again, is nationalism. The problem is the fact that we have a system that is broken because we have too much one-size, top-down, centralized authority in, in the United States. Milheiser is indirectly admitting that. So is this Harvard Law piece. So at the end of the day, what we really need, what we really need is think locally, act locally. And I know I had someone comment the other day, well, this is a problem because look what's happening in Virginia. Well, then you got to mobilize in Virginia. All is not lost there. I'm sure that uh, if more people had gone out and voted for the other side, some of these people wouldn't have won that are completely kooky. We're seeing what's happening in Virginia. We, we know that uh, there's going to be bills to remove Confederate monuments and do some of the things that are just completely kooky in Virginia. But um, at the end of the day, uh, the fact is you need to get out in your state and mobilize. Or maybe we need to divide Virginia up. Maybe you need to have Northern Virginia and then you have other parts of Virginia. I don't know. Uh, but the way forward is not centralization. The way forward, as Milheiser is actually admitting, is decentralization. So we'll see. We'll see. But I wanted to call attention to Milheiser and Vox and this kookiness of the Harvard Law uh, Review and uh, because this stuff is just completely out there. But you can always count on Ian and Milheiser to expose the idiocy of the left and the kooky proposals that they have. So I'll see you next time on The Brian McClendon. <laughs>